0: welcome to cannabis network radio my name is david kowalski i'll be your host for this evening how is everyone doing so we got a.
1: how you doing
0: i'm doing good max welcome to the show we got max here hey
1: thanks for having me man no
0: problem um tonight we're going to be talking about uh growing growing 101 um kind of the basics uh to get you started um i figured that you know max is uh, a cannabis expert and he's set up numerous grows and i actually did find out that uh... max has a guest with him also who is a grower uh, grower aficionado um, from israel uh... max not you go ahead and introduce uh... who you're uh, with
1: cool um, yeah i'm with my buddy here uh... known as better tm he's uh... been a growing for um, the government of Israel for their medical marijuana program for probably one of the largest marijuana grows in the country. Uh, here he is. I'm uh, just driving him to the airport right now, man. So we're going to kind of do this show on the road. But um, if anybody has any questions for him, um, this guy uh, knows quite a bit about growing outdoors on a very large scale. So, uh, yeah, here's better to him.
0: All right. Hello. Howdy, welcome to Cannabis Network Radio. How are you doing this evening?
1: I'm good, how are you?
0: Fine, thank you. Uh so you're in from Israel, huh? Yep. Are you on your I'm way back? Are you on your way back there now?
2: No, I'm actually uh, I'm on my way back to LA right now.
0: Alright. Um, how long have you been living in Israel for?
2: I moved to Israel in July two
0: thousand eleven. Oh, so relative, relatively new there?
2: Yep. So,
0: so tell us a little bit about since since we have you uh, before you get into actually growing, we actually have someone from the industry uh, in another country. Um can you take a minute and tell us a little bit about where things stand in Israel and and how things are are, are going in regard to the world of cannabis and cannabis reform in that country?
1: Yeah, sure.
2: Um well, I'm sure everybody knows, well, well actually um uh, some people probably won't know that Dr. Professor, actually, Raphael Meshulam discovered THC in Israel in 1964 and fully synthesized both THC and CBD in Israel. And the endocannabinoid system was also discovered in Israel by Raphael Meshulam in the 1990s. Um, So Israel has a long storied past with cannabis. The medical program was legalized. I believe, in the late 90s, around the same time as California. But there was no way for patients to get medicine in the beginning. They had to grow it themselves. So there were court cases. Eventually a company emerged that grew cannabis. And now there are eight of us. And my company is one of six that holds a license to grow.
0: Wow. And and when did you start? Uh, growing in Israel, I guess when how long ago did you start?
2: Well, the founder of my company started growing in Israel in two thousand and seven. Our company was founded in two thousand nine and i've been growing in Israel since July of two thousand and twelve and sorry january two thousand
0: and twelve and what was and what is uh your history prior to going to Israel um, in regard to you know, your expertise or whatnot?
2: Before I went to Israel, I worked for the premier dispensary in West Los Angeles called Gourmet Green Room.
0: Cool. And how long have you been uh, growing for professionally?
2: I only became a professional grower uh, once I started working for Better TM. Uh, Before that, I'd only done some backyard grows with friends and stuff.
0: So how, how did you get connected uh, to Israel, if, if I may ask? Like, what was your connection there, and what inspired you to, to uh, I guess, move there? Uh, was it strictly for uh, the cannabis industry, or do you have other ties there? Or
2: No, I, I actually, uh, my first experience with Israel was when I was 20. I went on a birthright program. It's a free trip for all young Jews around the world, ages 18 to 28, I believe and they pay for your plane ticket everything it's, it's, it's a whole crazy trip and I went I fell in love with the country in, in that 10-day trip and I decided to go back into a volunteer program and then my best friend wanted to join the army and he wanted to join the US Armed Forces and together we decided to join the IDF so we moved to Israel together became citizens they didn't want me because I was involved in a car accident in 2009 I got hit by a drunk driver who Blew out the whole left side of my body, and IDF didn't want me, so I started growing cannabis.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I've actually heard, uh, you know, a lot about. I mean, I know um, a couple people who are involved with uh, Tikkun Olam um, out there in Israel, and I've gotten quite a few invitations to uh, come over there and uh, check it out. I actually lived in Israel for for almost five years um, back in the early nineties. Um, and served in the IDF as well, so uh, I do have a little bit of a connection to the country a lot of family and friends there So, uh, okay, it's, it's kind of exciting about the things that are happening there and, and and actually one of one of the the biggest things w- which I feel uh, Has been beneficial about the cannabis movement in Israel is It has created a lot of I guess acceptance within the Jewish communities of of cannabis and its medicinal values because of of the way it's becoming very popular in israel um so i think that's actually been a, a good benefit uh around so <clears throat>
2: yes absolutely in fact all of our all of our flowers are certified kosher and there are there are actually uh companies in israel that produce uh kosher for passover edibles and i mean they they have patients in the Meir Sharim neighbor, neighborhoods, like the most religious neighborhoods in Jerusalem.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, Meir yeah. Sh- Sharim is kind of... By uh...
2: our, our program in Israel, I mean, we have, we have children to elderly people. We have PTSD patients to people who are, you know, dying from late stages of cancer. We have people across all uh, ethnic and religious backgrounds. Um, you know, we have people in the program who are Muslim and Christian and Jewish
0: so actually getting into the topic of growing I have a, an email uh, here coming in from Cannabis Information Network uh, from Derek um, he wants to know what is the best soil or way to start soil for an outdoor grow
2: well we start up. we start starting from seed starting from clone um, I mean we use different soil mixes. Whether we're starting from seed or starting from clones, just about everything we grow, we start from clones unless we're bringing in new strains. Um, but we start with brand new soil. Um, we add some styrofoam or perlite uh, to add aeration for our clones, uh, so they can root more easily and just strong Israeli really sunlight.
0: So, so do you actually replace? Um Soil or do you just use the current soil that's that's in the ground or do you recommend uh, any specific. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Do you recommend any specific kind of I mean, I know I know every grower has their own special mix, um, but do you recommend any specific kind of, I guess, nutrient rich soil or any soils that you can recommend or uh, median thereof for outdoor growing?
2: We use a very standard soil that's used all around in Israeli agriculture. Um, we've got several different kinds of, of mosses in there, um, different, different grades of uh, degrading, rotting wood. Uh, and we use new bags of soil for our clones when we're starting them out. And then when we transplant them into our bigger buckets and pots, we use our second or third run soil
0: how often do you it how how many times is a plant transplanted plant is transplanted
2: only twice
0: is planted twice do you find that there in those transplants that you have to overcome any type of i guess shock to the plants or you kind of have a system down where where it's kind of
2: no routine? everything everything we do is really seamless and I mean, we'll do batches of 200 at a time uh, without really any shock.
0: And out of those 200...
2: Sometimes, sometimes we get, you know, our clones are a little bit shocked coming out of the cloning room just into the greenhouse, but they typically recover within two or three days when, when we do see that maximum.
0: Now, in regard to um, outdoor growing, um, let's say, you know, someone does transplant and 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 what's the best way, I guess... Uh, I guess coming from Israel where, where it's really hot and you have very, very harsh sunlight, um, what's the best way to to protect plants from getting too well done? Um, any tips on, you know, irrigation or, or watering or feeding or the do's and the don'ts of, of having a grow in direct sunlight?
2: Well, you just want to, especially when, when you're starting out in the little pots, uh, you know, after, you know, your, your first your first transplant into dirt you want to make sure that you're not over watering the pots when you do water them you want to give them a good soak uh we generally give give a um a brief soak just to the top layer of soil to get it moist and then we go back and thoroughly soak each pot individually each little pot individually till it runs through uh you want to check the pots throughout the day especially on those really hot days a couple hours after you water to make sure that the, that it's still heavy um, if it's not heavy uh, you can go back and water again. You can't water too much on those on those really hot days. Um, we also give a, a gentle mist around the leaves uh, throughout the day a couple of times.
0: So out of those um, 200 plants, how many? what, what variety um, do you have out of those 200 plants?
2: 60% of our crop at any time is purple kush because that is the, the strain that our patients demand the most. Um, we're in the process of always testing and phasing in new strains with our patients, but right now the demand is still always 60% Purple Kush. Uh, the remaining 40%, we cycle various strains. Uh, we have Lemon Skunk Kush, White Widow, Maui Waui, um, Sour Diesel, Aft Gooey, uh, some oat Cheese, so- and we're always trying new stuff. We have our CBD strain Cheese Pie 13% CBD, 1.03 THC, All right. um, and we're, we're one of two companies in Israel that currently has CBD, and we're working actually with Project CBD uh, to bring more CBDs to the other companies in Israel.
0: So if somebody wants to find out some information about Israel, and, and let's say your Grow, um, how do they find out more information? Is there a web page? Is there something people can look at?
2: There really isn't a whole lot of information, and the reason behind that is because the new head of, he's like, it's, it's a brand new department under the Israeli parliament, actually. It's like the, it's going to be called, like, the cannabis ministry. But the new the new head of the ministry, a man by the name of Yuval, uh, wants the program locked down pretty tight. And, in fact, uh, CNN was just in Israel uh, with Sanjay Gupta, and I mean, they they had to stick to a pretty strict regimen, because uh, that's just the way you all want it. He probably wouldn't approve of this phone call right now.
0: (laughs) So, uh, I have a question here from Travis. Um, Travis wants to know about the... uh, I'm not sure what the exact terminology is, but the strains that have come out of Israel, or that have been in the news, that are that have no psychoactive, um, that have no psychoactive uh, effect and just, um, you know, I guess, a, a healing effect. Um, is that something that yeah. you guys focus on in your grow, and, and can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Well, like I just said, we do have uh, our same cheese pie, which is a 13, 13% CBD, 1% THC plant, that's, that's what we tested it at most recently, um, and we cannot say that it has no psychoactive effect because it does have 1% THC, which uh, does make it psychoactive. Um, this is a strain. This is a seed that we popped, and we got these results. This is not something that we genetically modified. Um, the strain that he's referring to is a strain called Avideco by Olam. Um I cannot vouch for that strain. I don't. I don't know how they went about creating it, but that is. Uh, a well-known saying that was picked up by the by the world media that so they created that. Um, I don't know how. I can't go into detail about that.
0: All right. Um, what does the uh, concentrate uh, world look like in Israel in terms of uh, concentrates and whatnot?
2: Concentrates in Israel are currently uh, non-existent. Um, the the Ministry of Health wants all the growers right now. Uh, this is because of recent government changes, but we've been told to stop. Uh, producing our very limited variety of edibles that we've been producing, this is all the growers, including that grower who works with the Orthodox community, serving only edibles. Um, there are no more edibles to be had in, in Israel um, by the end of June.
0: Why is that? Uh,
2: until the, the Because the Ministry of Health just wants everything to be done in a, in a very slow and methodic and pharmacologically controlled
1: they ask you guys to smoke it instead of eating it, and they honestly, they honestly believe that, that there's no health benefactor for eating it or smoking it. That's not what they're
2: saying because, you know, they know And R- R- Rafi Meshulam discovered in Israel that 90% of your body's cannabinoid receptors lie in your digestive, digest, digestive tract. Um, but what they're saying is they don't want... Uh, Cannabis culture, per se, in the form of cookies, chocolates, they don't see that as medicine. What they want is a more controlled, dosable uh, form of edible, which is why the only thing that's going to remain available for patients is um, dosed cooking oil.
0: So is there any kind of, I guess, pushback or people that are are voicing their opinions against such action? Or do they feel that... uh, that the, the regulation the patient population
2: in Israel consists of sick and dying people and people who are not super informed about cannabis some patients who arrive at our distribution and training center burst into tears because they're so anxious about using cannabis they understand that it's a dangerous drug they understand that it's unsafe um, you know people people especially old and dying people are very comfortable with things in a pill form, um, and being told that they need to smoke or or eat a cookie, um, you know, you're dealing with a very different culture, a very different patient base than you can imagine in in any state that, you know, where we have legal cannabis here. Because what we have in America is we have American cannabis culture, which uh, precedes and and permeates medical cannabis. You know, chi was around long before medical cannabis in America, but in Israel, it's a different thing, a different right. culture. Right. Well, so when you ask, is there blowback? No, there isn't really blowback. Do I wish there were blowback? Yeah, I wish there were blowback. What am, what am I trying to do? What is my company trying to do? We're trying to bring doctors from America to speak in front of Canada to educate doctors in Israel more about cannabis. We want to fast track it. In, in many ways, Israel is leading the world um, in medical cannabis, just in, in the number of patients treated, and the fact that Israel is strictly following the, the UN guidelines as they roll out their medical cannabis program.
0: Well, I think um, I think a lot in of other peop- ways
2: we're, we lag behind California, places like California and Colorado. Yeah, I, I think really a,
0: like a lot of people, to- people don't realize that that uh, medical technology in regard to the amount of of cutting edge medicine. Period comes out of Israel. I, I think a lot of people aren't even aware of that, how big of of a medical industry in general Israel does have on a global scale. Um,
2: I want to touch upon another, an opportunity that we have right now in Israel for medical research because the head of the medical cannabis program in Israel who has recently stepped down and been replaced by this new man named Yuval. Um, uh, Dr. Yehuda Baru has given us the green light to bring in any research funding, any doctors who want to come to Israel and do clinical research, which means if you want to come do a study on IDF veterans for PTSD, you know, you can bring a quarter of a million dollars and we can get clinical trial going on humans right now in Israel. All we need to do is bring funding and get it past the IRB. Uh, We don't have to deal with NIDA or the DEA in Israel, and we can produce world-class clinical research now today.
0: Well, that would be great. I mean, in, in case anyone wasn't clear on that, um, and, and I'm going to reiterate, and if I'm incorrect, then please correct me. Um, basically, Israel's offering the opportunity to, for people to do research, medical research, on human candidates, human trials in Israel, um, and yes. that availability is there, um, and and hopefully people will take advantage of that. Um, that way you know, we can stop hearing the excuse of, we have no research, we have no you know, official research, so on and so forth. Even though I think that Dr. Um, Raphael Mashulam's research has been adequate, uh, more than adequate, adequate, and he's also provided a plethora of information on the
2: topic. Um, we not... have a lot of preclinical. We have a lot of preclinical research from uh, Professor Mashulam, and you know, thank God for for the wealth of information that he's given us. But it's time to move into clinical, and we have a sympathetic government that's willing and ready to allow this research today.
0: So if I were to uh, come to Israel, you know, in, in the next few months, uh, would I be able to get a, an in and a tour of, of what's going on there? So.
2: If you were to come to Israel in the next two months, um, I would be able to put you in touch with Dr. Baruch's office and his secretary. Um, if you bring your, your patient license, your paperwork, I'm assuming you're a patient.
0: Me, I live in Florida, but I, but I actually am a patient. I do have a doctor's recommendation um, from California, Um, but uh, being a Florida resident, we do not have such things here. But I am a patient, and I am not a criminal, so. uh,
2: Okay. You know. uh, Well, I could, I could certainly, I could certainly uh, give you, you know, by email, uh, doctor, even the office contact information um, where you could get in touch with him and try and arrange. licensure for a font tour um and to receive your medicine yeah. uh, as a visitor while you're in
0: the country that would be that would be great um so yeah i mean I'm remembering back to uh, my time in Israel and uh you know back then in in the early nineties i i was there from nineteen ninety one uh to early nineteen ninety five um i i uh you know i remember the ease of getting hash was was A lot easier than having access to uh, the actual flower, you know. Uh And and, uh, times have changed. I'm assuming uh, in the it's been probably about 17, 18 years since I've been there last. I know. I know a lot has changed.
2: Uh, uh, Unfortunately, um, things haven't changed as much as uh, as as you have assumed. Uh, Most Israelis still smoke hash. And what has changed um, is the hash. The hash that now comes into Israel is uh, 30% cannabinoids and 70% foreign matter. It's been tested in Keeper University in Meshulam's hallways by Lumir Hanush, uh, where he found uh, pine tar, henna tar, uh, henna resin, uh, urine, um, oh, yeah. opiate, <laughs> and other, adult, other <laughs> adulterants, and um, wow. we're very concerned by this because well, this could be an example of what's known as uh, pharmaceutical, or in this case, non-pharmaceutical terrorism, where they're providing a drug to uh, Israelis, and it's laced with opium, and they could be putting other poisons in it, and they're still making all the profit. So um, that's the situation in Israel, and, and the, the stance of the police is, totally, uh, you know, helps the terrorists, helps Hezbollah and Hamas in this sense, because they bust little, little growers, you know, guys who are growing like one or two plants on their kibbutz or whatever, they bust these guys and like, yeah, we got five kilos, and they like, hold it over their head like they're, like they're national heroes, they're not, you know, they're shooting the country in the foot, because that five kilos, if you had allowed that to hit the street, that's five kilos of weed that people are going to buy instead of hash, because the prices are just about the same, um... Actually the hash is much cheaper. It's like uh seventy I don't know, it's like fifty dollars. Yeah, it's fifty dollars for like four grams. Three so, or four grams. So of the poison.
0: So let me let me ask you this. Um is there no activism, I guess, in regard to, you know, making an effort for legalization in general or recreational use in Israel? It sounds like there's there really not act- a strong there's, voice for it.
2: There is activism. We have we have Ali Aruch which is a political party, Greenleaf, we have Dora Ha'Amet, which is another political party, uh generation of truth, but they just haven't been able to rock the vote. Uh we recently had our elections and I voted Ali Aruk party uh, as a new Israeli citizen, uh, but we, we fell short, we fell very short. It's kind of like voting for the Green Party. Um, although in Israel, you, you always feel like you could make the change because we need like, you know, 70,000, you know, something small, but, uh, no.
0: Well, it sounds like you can use a little bit of, uh, hardcore direct action activism, uh, there to get in front of people's face and get things stirred up a little bit. So, uh,
2: yeah, we can. I mean, I want to ignite the Americans because I think uh, coming coming from American culture and understanding the the reality and the danger of uh, the Arab hash and you know throwing it in everyone's face. I mean, it's a real, it's an obvious problem. I mean, right. um, the way I see it, it has to change.
0: Well, hopefully, hopefully, uh, you know, with my knowledge and my friends in Israel, and you know, now reaching out and 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 kind of sort of meeting you. Um, you know, we can take the messaging from, from Cannabis Network Radio and Cannabis Information Network and, and get that information out to Israel, too. It's a beautiful thing about, you know, the internet and social media is, is maybe uh, we can start stirring up the hornet's nest a little bit and uh, getting some people's voices heard. And, and I, think, uh,
2: I think there's a lot that we can do here stateside uh, to help Israelis push cannabis along in Israel uh, both in terms of uh, policy as the government is currently shaping its policy around medical cannabis, you know, we can impact that and we can also, you know, do crowdsource fundraising to bring research and research opportunities to Israel. Um, and I think Israel has a lot to offer us in terms of, you know, what we put into it. It'll give us much, much more like an investment, you know, I, if I we would... can crowdsource funding for PTSD research in Israel. I mean, <laughs> throw that in the face of the U.S. government. How can they stand? And tell us, you know, well, PTSD is the fastest growing mental condition in America, but they're not going to allow any research here stateside for our vets.
0: Well, one thing I have concrete some
2: concrete evidence out of Israel.
0: Well, there's nothing interesting I can say about that is number one, it doesn't really matter what you throw in the government's face here because, you know, I'm sure, as you well know, before you left this country, the government does what they want. They don't really care what the people say. However, I personally feel that if there's enough people that are saying the same thing in unison, that is different, but when you have like a group of people here and a pocket of people here, it doesn't make uh, that big of a difference. I just think that you know w- unity um, in numbers is the key to successful uh, change within a government level, whether it be here or Israel or anywhere else. Um, you know, but I'm definitely interested in getting involved somehow or another to bring the passion of advocacy of the United States to Israel. So please. Have me in mind, uh, you know, have us in mind, Cannabis Network Radio, Cannabis Information Network, and myself uh, in mind, uh, you know, if and when, you know, you decide to move forward or, or move, you know, with those things, because I'd definitely be interested in being involved with that. Um, we're going to take a short break, and probably about five minutes or so, listen to some tunes, and then when we get back, we're going to start talking about uh, some growing techniques and how to get grow started um, here on cannabis network radio Welcome back to Cannabis Network Radio. Tonight we have with us uh, Max. We're going to talk about growing on this second half of the show. Uh, for all you listening out there, welcome. Um, we're going to be getting into some growing basics this evening. Uh, be sure to go ahead and check us out on iTunes. Uh, go to iTunes, go to podcast, put in the word cannabis, and you'll see us there in the uh, top five um, right there, Cannabis Network Radio. Uh, with our new look, our new image, so on and so forth, uh, we are growing by leaps and bounds. Thank you, everyone, for your support, uh, all our listeners and all our subscribers. Thank you, thank you. Um, on that note, anybody who might be interested in uh, advertising, product services, et cetera, et cetera, on Cannabis Network Radio, uh, please go ahead and uh, contact us at media at cannetradio.com, dot com, um, and we'll go ahead and uh, get you guys. Uh, some airtime at airtime here on Cannabis Network Radio. Max, welcome back, and uh, how are you doing?
1: I'm uh, I'm a lot better than when I first answered the phone. I'm no longer driving, so uh, but and I'm sitting over here with my good friend I met in Israel. We're watching a car out of sunset, and about to send him off, but it's been an awesome trip because we've been touring around so many grows in Denver. We just toured uh three different dispensaries yesterday together and um some other really cool stuff. Met some fantastic people in the scene so it's been good. Cool,
0: cool. Well I'll be in Denver next week. So uh we're gonna oh, have
1: sweet. to Oh great. Hey let's hang out.
0: We're we're gonna have to uh get together and uh hang out and uh you know Yeah have a good time. Let's see um, cool man so I'm gonna make a comment about a picture I posted um for tonight's show Um, I've been getting some feedback in regard to the picture I posted. Firstly, everyone that's listening, it's just a picture. I found one. I put some words on it, so on and so forth. I know that is not the proper way to grow. I know you don't use fluorescent lights, at least the stages the plants are on. I know you don't use aluminum foil and so on and so forth. So, you know, for anyone that's giving me shit on on Facebook about the picture I posted, look, I'm going to educate you. Just because I used a picture doesn't mean that, you know, that's what I'm telling you what to do. So everyone just take a step back and slow your roll. Um, I will point out a few things, um, about the picture that I have on Facebook. Number one, it is under a fluorescent bulb. Um, usually for fluorescent lighting, uh, is not ideal to use only right in the beginning stages, um, when you're vegging. Um, in regard to the walls, plain white is the best. Um, I know, I know some people do like, uh, using Mylar, uh, that you can pick up at local grow shops to put around, uh, your indoor grow to refract light, um, to, all encompass the plants Um, I personally feel that using a white um, environment um, is the most ideal and um, one big thing about indoor grows is ventilation ventilation and temperature control is is a very key factor as well Um, I know that uh, unfortunately here in the States unlike Israel uh, most places have to more or less grow indoors so we're going to focus a little bit on the basics of setting up let's just say a small closet grow for for personal use um max do you have any uh, input insights so on and so forth uh, that you want to put in um in regard to the fundamental basics of setting up uh, a basic like let's say closet grow
1: Sure. I'd love to. Um, Closet grows are one of my favorite grows to set up because um, sometimes they're a little more complex than your regular warehouse grow because of uh, the limited space shape and where exactly your closet grow is, is going to limit your ability to produce quality um, product or not. And so, as David said earlier, um, ventilation is key. Uh, and lighting is key. And you have to imagine you're going to create the kind of environment that a jungle plant is going to love. So the first thing you have to imagine is where in your house is it okay for things to get wet, moist, humid, hot, sticky, uh, dirt to spill all over the place, and sometimes kind of buggy. Um, and No, we don't growing... mean
0: your bedroom. So.
1: Exactly. I mean, you're going to make a jungle environment, so imagine that. Have that in your mind. And then what you want to do is, if you're looking at your closet right now and you're thinking about this, if you don't have an intake ventilation source and an outtake ventilation source, you might want to think about rearranging your situation and making yourself a closet grow, maybe out of a tent um they sell professional like grow tents uh, the size of closets anywhere from something that could fit under your desk to something that could fill probably a pretty large basement
0: i'm going to um, i'm going to interrupt you for one second max i'm sorry um i'm going to go ahead and plug somebody for free um hid hut at hidhut.com um, they have a great supply of uh, grow rooms, portable grow rooms, um, that start as small as, I think, 2x4 and then go up uh, larger from that. Um, so if you want to kind of look at what Max is talking about in regard to a grow tent, um, check out HIDHUT.com um, or you can check them out on Facebook. Sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead, Max. Continue. Oh,
1: no, dude, that's, that's perfect. And what you'll notice when you look at those grow tents is the way that they're designed they have a shiny reflective side inside the outside is black Um, but there's so many different ports for you to open spaces for ventilation to allow humidity in or humidity out and also it's fitted with intake and outtake ventilation ports at the bottom and the top Um, obviously you want to take your outtake ventilation from the top because heat rises and you want to try to get as much heat out of the room as possible because the lights make it super hot and bring cold air down uh, from the bottom and so uh, the tents are just made with bag cinches so you can just cin- cinch it around uh, whatever size fan you have or whatever ducting system that you're using and then um, it also has some supports to hang lights in there as well. Sometimes your landlord doesn't really like it when you cut holes in their wall to stick your marijuana ducting through. and. Uh, it's also not fun when you get mold because it starts in the grow room and it hits the rest of your house pretty fast. Well, um, and I imagine I imagine in Florida, um, you know, where you guys are at, that might be a, a little bit of a situation. Out here in Colorado, it's super dry, but our grow rooms are extra moist. So it's always a situation out here too. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I think
0: that temperature control and having a, be able to have a controlled environment um, really is is ideal, which is why those portable... Um, You know, break down, break up tents are really good for for home grows if you can find the footprint um, to stick it in there because it does give you somewhat of a contained control environment. Um, One thing which I which I will say is that if you're going to do an indoor grow and I know people say that, um, you know, it doesn't it doesn't cost a lot your initial investment um, to set up a proper. Uh, you know, when I say proper, meaning uh, i'm not talking about getting cutting edge top of line stuff you're gonna spend i I would say and I, max if you if you disagree with me, let me know i would say between five hundred to a thousand dollars on just a basic uh, a setup for for a grow that that will actually yield something worthwhile um, would you say that assumption is correct?
1: um absolutely, you know a small basement grow. One, you know, a four-flower light, you know, setup could cost easily six thousand dollars. So right. a, you know, closet grow should cost you. It should cost you more than six or seven hundred dollars. Um, and the thing is, is you don't have to buy brand new products, and you can get creative with the products that you do buy. Um, I'll just kind of leave you with that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, but, I definitely,
0: um, I, I definitely know that that in a lot of uh, grow shops, hydroponic stores, they do have like a used uh, used section, um, for supplies exactly. as well. Um, if you're not comfortable finding it online, I mean, eBay is always a good source, but some people are leery about that. Um, I, I do have actually uh, a comment to make about, about growing cause I'm here reading a question from somebody. Um, basically to answer your question, um, Ricardo, I think it's, uh, I guess that's how it's pronounced. Um, It is, if the amount of time you're going to invest into taking care of your plants, if you're not ready to invest the minimal basic amount of money to set up a proper grow, you're going to end up being disappointed and frustrated down the road because you're going to invest all this time into taking care of the plants and it's not going to produce the results that you want. So if you don't have a good startup money to invest on the basics, then save up and wait till you have the basic fundamentals um, and the resources to start your grow or you're just gonna end up disappointed and frustrated. And, and I know personally from talking with a lot of people over the years, that happens a lot. People want to start their own grows and are really passionate about it, but then they do it half-assed and they get extremely frustrated and then they give up as opposed to, you know, grooming the potential of having a successful grow. Um,
1: can I, can I interject and give, like, an awesome example that's the exact opposite, though, at the uh, same uh, time?
0: Absolutely. Go ahead.
1: Okay. So um, in in Colorado, when medical marijuana sweeps and legalization sweeped, the amount of equipment that sold for grow rooms was just astronomical. I mean, seriously, it was crazy. Um, but it's not just about the equipment. You could spend as much money as you want on the best, brand new, most expensive equipment you can get your hands on, and you can fail miserably. Not even grow one plant rub. And I've seen so many guys get so excited that now that they can grow legally and they're comfortable doing it, they're gonna go ahead and invest a good $5,000 on a solid closet grow, and then lo and behold, they come to realize that it's not about watering a plant like you do with tomatoes in your garden it's a little bit more complicated than that and if you don't spend a considerable amount of time doing research and I mean not one book but two because you know different opinions from different authors really matter then it's almost like not even worth trying because you're just going to spend a lot of time a lot of back you know breaking watering and a lot of effort and a lot of money and you are going to get really frustrated and I see it probably 90 percent of the time only 10 percent of people you know really get successful and then maybe five percent of those people really continue to do it
0: yeah I, I mean I concur with you about reading you know different books and getting different opinions uh from from different people um you know because there is a plethora of information out there between books and internet so on and so forth um some of it's very technical some of it's very basic um you know, one, I do have one suggestion here, um, talking about climate control, which is a, a question um, that I have here, um, is, um, sorry, I'll, I'll say the name Randy, to answer your question, um, in regard to climate control, one of the easiest ways, uh, it does cost a little bit of money, is to get a portable air conditioner, um, you can pick those up at Walmart, Target, uh, it actually doesn't go into a window, it's separate. Uh, from itself, get a portable air conditioner comes with with ducting actually in the packaging um put the airflow that cool airflow uh into the bottom, especially if you're going uh with with a tent um, uh one of those grow huts or grow tents uh where you have the ventilation go in from lower um and then take your heat out from on top again because heat rises obviously. Um, and that actually gives you a little bit of a better uh, chance to be able to um, to regulate the temperature and also the beautiful thing about those independent uh, air conditioning units is they also do have a uh, you know, place where it catches water and humidity. So I'm not sure where you're located, uh, Randy, but here in Florida, uh, getting a lot of that heavy moisture um, out of the you know, 500% humidity we have here is ideal for sure. Um, so that's a recommendation in regard to uh, climate control and also a good uh, force vent fan, um, meaning that a fan that will suck uh, all the warm air out of the tent and push it um, is a really good idea and one of the most advantageous things you can do is if you are looking for an ideal spot for a grow setup is to put it near one of the air, your air conditioning in your home intakes that you can pipe the hot air out. So that way it goes right into the, the air intake of your home and then will actually your, your own home air conditioning system will cool that air down as well, which will eliminate uh, heat buildup, which, which is a big problem with a lot of uh, closet or home grows is, is managing the heat, um, especially um, in hydroponic grows where the water temperature is so crucial um, to a successful grow.
1: Yeah, and um, so, uh, just kind of a maybe a tip out there for everyone. A lot of people might read a lot of grow magazines and high times, and so many people have this idea that hydroponic weed is better than soil. <laughs> um, not, ne- not necessarily true, not necessarily the case. And then the other thing is you have to understand hydroponics is a super technical thing that is, 10 times more difficult than just growing in soil or soil with soil uh, to begin with. And if it's your first time growing marijuana, meaning you're growing for like the first year to maybe first two or three years, um, I would not recommend doing hydroponics whatsoever until you've gotten a couple solid harvests down and you just kind of have a better understanding of what's going on.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, especially, uh, you know, in regard to hydroponics and, and to kind of follow with what you said, Max, you know, I hear people tell, oh, that's dro, that's dro, it's dro. It's like, do you know what the fuck you're talking about? That's dro. Like, really? Like, you know, that doesn't mean anything. You know, uh, it's just a way to grow uh, cannabis. And um, one thing which I know, it's very, very challenging to grow organic bud uh, hydroponically. It, it's out there, um, but it's it's very, very difficult to dr- to grow true organic hydroponic um, bud just because of the nature of the organic nutrients that go into the grow um, as well as to actually fit the guidelines of organic slash vegan guidelines of growing and consumption Uh, it has to be planted in soil anyway even though they don't they don't consider water uh, to be an actual organic median for whatever reason but that's just the guidelines of, of an actual organic uh, grow that it has to be in soil. Uh, one thing which which I personally have found um, when you have truly organic uh, grown plants, um, from my own smoking uh, experience, organic bud one grows uh, smokes cleaner. Um, it also doesn't give you really bad um, dry mouth. I haven't gotten bad cotton mouth from organically grown um, cannabis um as well as it doesn't give you that burn in the back of your throat that uh chemically uh enhanced uh cannabis does um do you concur with any of those uh, assessments that, that I have experienced
1: yeah i mean um i i might have mentioned before and i'm not trying to brag but when i smoke my bud you, you know i don't cough at all and no one else who smokes my bud coughs either and the reason why is because i care so much about the flushing I can't tell you how many people I know who are growing professionally, I mean literally hundreds if not thousands of plants in warehouses in Colorado for medical-grade cannabis, and they still don't understand a proper flush cycle. Flushing is not giving your plant clean water. Flushing is flushing water through your uh, dirt system or your hydroponic system to flush all the residual salt nutrients that build up around the root base. So that when you are watering, your plant just keeps sucking up, sucking up, um, essentially salt, parts per million. And you can test how heavy your PPM is with a digital PPM meter from all your water runoff that comes from the bottom of your plant, as well as what how high your PPM is of your NPK ratios for uh, micro and macro nutrients putting into your plant. Because the plant, especially in its flower cycle, needs a um, very different range of PPMs and also NPK ratios that flow differently throughout the plant's life. For those that uh, don't
0: know, can you just quickly explain the PPM and the uh, the, the definitions of yeah. what,
1: what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, so, so what PPM is, is it's just parts per million, um, and so when I grow cannabis, I measure my parts per million of CO2 that's available in the air, and uh, I actually grow cannabis on a computer system. It's uh, an atmospheric regulated environment, and it's basically just a computer that you plug your intake in, your outtake, uh, your air conditioning, your dehumidifying, your liquid-injected CO2, and your life. Um, And so you wanna measure how much CO2 is in the room. If there's not enough, you might wanna supplement it and give it more. Also, PPMs is parts per million of how much salt, which is how concentrated the nutrient base you're giving your plants is. Um, If it's a really heavy salt thing, if you're one of those growers that thinks you're going to go to the hydro store and buy 10, 12, 20 different things like the hydro store wants you to and mix it all together in this crazy batch and you're going to give it to your plant, it's going to be awesome, you're wrong. Less is more. The plant is a fragile thing and all it needs is the type of nutrients it needs at the time to grow. If you give it more, it's going to be harmful. It's like overwatering, like over right. um, And also, you know, not having a proper pH, you're not going to have any nutrient uptake. And if you water with freezing cold water, um, your roots are going to lock up and shiver like your body does and they're not going to uptake any of the nutrients either. Um, explain PPM, what was the other thing I talked about, pH, what was the other thing you wanted me to explain?
0: Um, Basically, yeah, we talked about pH a little bit.
1: Oh, and NPK ratios or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so an NPK ratio is the ratio between the available nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus. So every time you go to a grow and you look at um, whatever nutrient that you're going to purchase the first, what you're going to see is three numbers with two dashes in between them on the front of the bottle. And the first number is N, the second is P, and the, sec- and the third is K, standing for nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus. And those are your three macronutrients. You know, your micronutrients are going to be uh, copper, sulfur, iron, manganese, um, potassium, you know, a couple other things, I- interesting things. Um, so, throughout your nitrogen, your potassium, and your phosphorus, you need to measure what uh, the amount of salt, you know, the amount of concentrated nutrient you're about to give to your plant. And um, it matters for different stages. So, you know, from a clone or a seedling up to any kind of, a, you know, mature veggie, I would say you want to stay um, anywhere between 200 and maybe 700, 800 ppms, no higher than that, and you want to, like, raise it as the plant goes. And then when, you know, you flip your plant to flower in your 12-12 cycle, you're going to slowly diminish your amount of nitrogen because nitrogen is the nutrient that grows, you know, the uh, leafy green tissue, and you're going to start to bleed that out as you're going to start to increase your potassium and your phosphorus. Um, and increase your part per 1000000 level to induce fruiting uh, those are just nutrients that are going to tell your plant to start produce Producing flowers as well as the light cycle and even the color of your light will um, help to tell your plant to induce fruiting as well
0: Cool. Well, thank you for that information now Let's just take a sure. step back for for the next few minutes. We have left on the show Let's say um, I'm a complete stranger. I know nothing about growing. I know I want to do it. And I walk into a hydroponics store or I go online. What are the basics that I need to set up a closet grow or a home grow to get myself
1: started? Um the the first thing's first is you need to buy a book and you need to, you know, get a calendar and you need to write yourself a schedule that's consistent with what nutrients you're going to use on that schedule. You know, you need to like set up the room, you need a game plan and a blueprint. And then, you know, you want to kind of make friends with the guy at the grocery store who knows what he's talking about. And maybe just mention to him that you're not really interested in, you know, purchasing everything that you don't need and purchasing, you know, basically what's necessary. And so if you read in your book what's necessary, you're going to find that, um, you know, there's not a whole lot uh, of nutrients that you need when there's over two, 300 companies available. So sometimes it's kind of daunting when you walk in there. But, I mean, all your plant is wanting is a little bit of a lot of nitrogen and a little bit of potassium and a little bit of phosphorus and not that much of it either in, you know, warm water that's pHed well and gently. Um, and, you know, I don't know, besides that, I would just caution people and warn people that a lot of hydroponic stores, their goal is to, you know, make money. And when you read NPK ratios, the numbers, what they're representing is uh, the percent value that's actually in the bottle. So if it reads 323, you only have 3% of that bottle is nitrogen, which means the rest of the bottle is, you know, water. So I would kind of go for NPK ratios that are uh, a little bit higher and just don't buy as many different products. But if you're going to buy higher NPK ratios, um, be sure that, you know, you really dilute it enough and watch your PPM so that you're not going to burn the plant with nutrient burn Um that's where your leaves will start to curl upwards and backwards and also curl down. And they just kind of curl and, like, roll themselves up like a tootsie roll. And they'll also burn on the sides of the leaves. Um, you will you know, nutrient deficiency, if you're not giving your plant enough nutrients, your plant is going to start to have yellow leaves from the bottom up. And they're not the yellow leaves in your last flower cycle when it's, like, fall, when your plants will naturally deplete um the whatever green stuff is called um chlorophyll. Not remembering anymore. chlorophyll. Thank you. No problem. Um, yeah, if you're if you're seeing chlorophyll bleeding out through like the middle of your plant and the bottom of your plant going up and it's kind of earlier in the state, that's a pretty good sign that there's not enough nitrogen in it. But obviously your plant doesn't look burned; it just looks deficient. Yeah, definitely if your plant after. Is all, like, cr- yeah, definitely crazy after looking, growing you know, for a while. Roots,
0: yeah, definitely after after growing for a while you can look at a plant and know like what its nutrient deficiencies are um not that not that you should be having it in your grow after you become an expert but you know once you know what you're doing you can actually i I can't tell you how many times i've had people say hey come look at this you know and and after a while you kind of can tell uh what nutrient deficiencies are are prominent in in the plant um do you have a, a favorite book or author or one that you recommend yeah. or you'd prefer not to say on, on air or, um, any...
1: so, no, no, no. I'll, I'll, say this. There's, there's so many grow books out there. There's like the grow Bible. And I mean, literally, I actually, I, pro, I have a small library of cannabis books. Um, I can't tell you how many authors I have. And, um, the, the number one thing to remember is to not listen to your friend. not to listen to your buddy because i can't tell you how many times i've met growers who say oh well my friend told me to do this well Well, max you're my friend should i not
0: should i not listen to you
1: (laughs) no dude don't listen to a word (laughs) i've said so far i'm telling you not to listen to me i'm telling you to go read books right yeah so that's what i'm telling you is don't listen to me i don't know what i'm talking about go read a book and not even one read a couple of them yeah so you know at Ed Rosenthal, in his books, they're kind of classic. He's um, just a classic grower, and his most recent book is the Osterdam um, University official textbook. Right. It's really slick and it's good. But the fun or interesting thing is, is that it just doesn't mention all of the other little intricate pieces that you know, George Cervantes or Jorge Cervantes' book. Uh, mentioned so the right. two as a combination just gives you a full spectrum of information. And then what these books don't give you is experience. Ex- and so experience you know, you don't is necessarily a big deal. Yeah. Give, give up when it's not working out. Uh, when it doesn't work out, you should bet you better figure out and learn why. So when you try it next time, it doesn't happen uh, because you are going to mess up a lot. And <laughs> yeah. sometimes I still mess up, uh, and I'm still learning. Uh, you know. Now and I'm always learning, and I'm always willing to learn something new, and I can't wait to get my hands on the next, you know, cannabis book. And so I would, um, you know, not be a stoner about it and not listen to your uh, stoner friend who's playing stoner telephone tag with stoner information. Um, you know, go to, a, go to a source and get some solid information, test it out, put a little money into it, uh, have fun, and don't do anything stupid.
0: Yeah, I can definitely concur with that assessment. You know, I'm always learning something new. I have a small library of books myself. Um, I have ingested so much knowledge from so many books. It's, it's, you know, but honestly, when it comes down to it, you're 100% right. Experience really is, is the key factor. Experience and learning um, and actually having the hands-on experience is what makes the world of difference. Um, personally, um, I recommend for people to get the Cannabis Grow Bible. Um, as a starter book, because if you can make your way through that book and learn everything from that book, or not learn everything, but take in all the information without giving up on reading the book, then you're off to a good start. Because it's a big book, has a lot of technical information, a lot of good information, and if you can persevere through reading that book, then you know that's, you're off to a good start. And that's the Cannabis Grow Bible by uh, Greg Green, um, which is you know I, I always recommend people as I guess their starter book. Um, so on and so forth well thank you Max for uh, being on this evening and uh, having a special guest with us it was great to learn about what's going on in Israel and uh, you know how things are going on in in a different part of of the world Uh, and and as always I do appreciate your expertise uh, Max and uh, look forward to having you on uh, future episodes of Cannabis Network Radio uh, here on Podstream Live, and I hope that you have a wonderful and good evening.
1: Hey, and uh, hey, is it possible I could uh, just give? Could you, do you guys have my email address in case anyone has any consulting questions?
0: I'll I'll put the um, email address friends, out there, but go ahead and give a shout out. Let us all know what it is, and I'll be sure to put it on the yeah. podcast as if, well.
1: If anyone has any uh, questions or wants some serious consulting, um, you can email me at maxmontrose at gmail dot com m-a-x-m-o-n-t-r-o-s-e at gmail.com and everyone should check out uh, Better's um, Instagram because it is incredible they've got tons of followers and post huge 30 foot plants from Israel so it's Better T. M. B. E. T. T. E. R. T. M. Instagram. And uh, yeah, thanks for the shout out. Thanks for having us on tonight. Happy growing, everybody. Be smart about it. Be safe about it. And uh, thanks so much for doing the show. You guys rock.
0: Thanks, Max. Have a good night.
1: Yeah, you guys too. Smoke up. Stay hi.
0: Well, that was Max. Um, good friend. Uh, wealth of knowledge here on Cannabis Network Radio and Podstream Live. Um, We're going to wrap it up for this show. Um, I hope the information was helpful. Um, We'll be back next week on Tuesday uh, from 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, broadcasting live here on Podstream Live. Um, Be sure to check out our podcast on iTunes. Uh, Rate us. Share us. Uh, We're on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash cannetradio. And also check out Cannabis Information Network, which is Facebook.com, C-I-N-L-L-C. And we are wishing everyone a beautiful and safe evening from here at Studio 420 and Cannabis Network Radio. Have a good night.